Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. I'm obviously back in the living room, not in my green screen environment. I've just had a minor meltdown with internet connection issues at 3 in the morning. Uh, so bear with me. But anyway, we're here for Omlu Pet Neusblatt men and women's recap as well as the UAE to a Stage 7 recap. It's going to be a big podcast. Make sure you download it on your Wi-Fi, uh, not on your your data plan because you may exceed whatever megabyte, gigabyte limit you have. Uh, but if you want to check out our show partner, Look Hole, they're at the link below, www.lecol.cc. You may have seen their kit on Drops Lecole. Conti cycling team in the break today at Omloop Het Neusblad Women's. Pretty nice kit. We mentioned it yesterday on the podcast. So go and check them out at the link below if you want to see any more of their stuff. We'll pick up some of their kits for yourself. But first, Omloop Men's Benji, 201k course. First half that's not so difficult. We had nine pave sectors, the last of which was the half hook at 162k's in. 13 climbs, the main ones, the Molenberg at 158Ks in, so 43Ks to the finish, the Murkapelmur, 17Ks to the finish, and the Bosberg, 13Ks to the finish. Those two are 4Ks from each other, so they're probably the main ones, as well as the Berendries, 170Ks in, but it's not it's not as hard as Flanders on loop. That's why I quite like this course. It's quite balanced. A sprinter can definitely win this race. Um, and what, you, was it, what was the conditions on the ground, Benji? You're the, you're the man on the ground. Cold in Belgium, in Flanders, or windy? What, what was it like? Pretty average when it comes to the temperature. Nothing too extreme on both sides, so not too hot, not too cold. Also no snow or rain, really. I think the wind was also pretty mediocre. There was no real proper wind to say, oh, echelons are going to happen or anything. That was not really the case on this, on this beautiful day. So, uh... Pretty average everything. It, it's it's not like I was expecting something weather related to happen among the parkour really. Cool. Main start list or the start list rather, and the main favourites. I mean, Sturvin obviously has to be mentioned. The winner last year and Pedersen on Trek Segafredo, Alaphilippe and Ballerini at Quickstep. Although pretty much anyone could win at Quickstep. Who else? Aaron Baru, maybe big outside shot. Greg Van Avermaet wanting to show something. Now moved over to Azure Desert Citroen, as well as Oliver Narsen. Niels Pollitt similarly moved over to Borain, Bora Hansgrohe. Borain? I was conflating Borain, Bahrain. <laughs> Bahrain. Heinrich Hausler, maybe Benji's favourite rider. Could he? How could he go today? As well as Stefan Kung and uh, Jake Stewart, the young Brit at Group Palmer. And uh, a few other names, like Pidcock, his first race for, major race for Ineos, rather, first World Tour race for Ineos. They also have the young Ethan Hayter there, Owen Dool, Gianni Moscon, pretty strong team. Seth Van Mark just moved over to Israel Startup Nation. So a lot of big names who should be good at the cobbles uh, have moved teams wanting to show something. Christoph has to be mentioned at UAE Team Emirates. No MVDP for Alperson. They only had they had Philipson instead as their sprinter. Teichbenot, Roman Bardet, surprise selection. Soren Kranderson at DSM. I missed anyone else, Benji. Anyone else you thought could actually have a chance of winning this race that I haven't mentioned? Uh, I don't think necessarily. I um I liked Arian Livens for a bit of a, a sneaky top ten to be honest because he's been doing really well throughout. I think Provence or Ovar. I think it was Ovar. But uh, all in all, those are the names that you want to hear. When it comes to the bookies, that was Alaphilippe on top and Ballerini in second. So the Koenig Quickstep really has the main favorites here at the start. Got to keep that in mind. And I think they also kind of wrote the race like that. We'll go into that in a second once we go over the uh, over the riders. Did you have like a rider that you were hoping to achieve something at the start of this race? Or were you just hoping for a good race? Olaf Kui for Team Yumbo Visma. I love when the you know super young riders do well early. Apparently he was beating Decker in some of the sprints on the Yumbo Visma camp. So Olaf Kui was a man I was really watching to see how he would go. Uh, and especially because, yeah, I want to see who, if Yumbo Visma have really bolstered their classic squad to help one art. But getting on to the race, the live coverage started relatively late, maybe 70, 80 k's to go, although, as I said, the first half of the race, of course, wasn't particularly difficult. 
There was the obligatory breakaway, Benji. Uh, who, who was in that and how far ahead of the peloton were they? Including a sport flounder rider every single time. It always happens. Piketla was that. The Bucker was there. We had Louvel, Fedorov. And uh, in that breakaway, I think Fedorov was the rider I was looking most forward to because he is a, um, well, a rider that came from Conti last year. Won two races from a breakaway in Conti. Pretty strong in those breakaways. So just was looking forward to it. Didn't expect him to take this breakaway all the way here, though, because it's Omlope. That's very unlikely. Had a max gap of around, like, eight minutes at a certain point, but then the cleric started hammering it at the start at the start of the peloton, top of the peloton, the front of the peloton. That's the word I was looking for. And eventually the gap came down to about two, three, four minutes once the broadcast started. But a lot of people crashed today, and that's a bit unfortunate. I think one of the first ones was Lampard going into one of the cobble sector corners, the Holloway. We also had, unfortunately, a very constant thing happen, death Taxes and Van Mark having bad luck. It always uh, is a constant in life. And once again, Van Mark crashed. Really unfortunate because he's a very humble person and a very nice guy. I um, it, It's just sad at this point. I really, really want him to win a race. And it just doesn't and happen. Benji. Because, yeah. He lost he lost two helpers because of a they yeah. were a close contact of a COVID positive before the race even started. He only had four other teammates, I think, starting. Five riders for ISU. And so like that is just insane bad luck for Van Mark. And he was super, super strong today. He looked on magic form, maybe better than last year, I'd argue. Um yep, how definitely. he was going today. So, yeah, I agree. Pretty unfortunate to see. Lampard's crash, I feel like he had a flat going into the corner. Look, just the way he approached the corner. Front wheel flat, and then he, he slid out and crashed. So, maybe that caused the crash. A bit unusual. Um, but, yeah, that was with 50, about 51Ks to go, I think. And so, as you might have guessed, with 51Ks to go, Lampard leading the main group, which is pretty much all together, and just a obligatory breakaway up the road, not too much has happened. And then we hit the Molenberg, and things start to really heat up. It almost the race went from dawdling to crash hot into going into the Molenberg. Just before then, Trek went to the front, turns Pedersen, Sturvin, all the people you'd be expecting at Trek to be at the front because they don't want to be behind if someone like Alaphilippe attacks on the climb. But what happened, Benji? Benji, I saw 15 riders plus take a shortcut across the road, uh, across the footpath on the Molenberg, nearly hitting a pedestrian. It's against the rules. Do you expect the UCI to crack down on it? I don't think they will. Like, what do you think is is the next steps from here? Uh, should me and you just stop complaining about it and accept it, or like, what's the solution? Because I don't think it's acceptable. It's not acceptable, but I think uh, we've ex- we've explained for like a year now that every single time it happens, no nobody really does anything about it. I think once or twice we had a time penalty for Gilbert that then got taken away the day after anyway. So they gave him a punishment for being on the footpath and then took it away the day after. So at this point, you generally don't know what to expect once a rider crosses that. I think in the men's race, I saw half the peloton at least pass a footpath or go over a footpath, I mean, at a certain point in the race. In the women's race, I think three riders would be left if we really beat down on it. So, yeah, I um, I don't know what, what, how to how to say it anymore. Like, it's unsafe for pedestrians if there aren't any. And now there were not many pedestrians due to the COVID situation. But still, like, yeah, it, it's difficult because they will keep on introducing UCI rules to kind of figure out these events, but if you don't crack down on the ones that already exist, what's the point in making new rules? That's kind of my take on that. Yeah, exactly. And it's not a case of people trying to avoid road furniture and having to hop the footpath. It's a case of people just wanting to take a shorter line because they don't want to go the long way around. On the Molenberg, Trentin actually accelerated for UAE, and then Alaphilippe was on his wheel and then attacked over the top of him on the Molenberg. That created a split, and Trek Segafredo were nowhere. They'd been at the front at the base of the Molenberg. I checked overhead screenshots. I went back and looked, and they were nowhere. Alaphilippe is then joined by Van Avermaet, Genietz, I think Alaphilippe, oh, sorry, Jacobs. Uh, sorry, Jacobs and Kui had attacked, by the way. Uh, Jacobs are young. I'm not sure if we mentioned 
young rider for Movistar, good classics man. Benji was really high on him in the Movistar preview and the classics. Koi, obviously, new rider at Jumbo Visma. They were in a break. They then got subsumed by that Van Avermaet, Genietz, Ballerini, Goggle, Koi, Trentin, sorry, Pidcock, Laporte, Stieber, Leuvel, Levens. But that group formed in dribs and drabs. So, like, Alaphilippe went on the Molenberg, then a few went over. I think Van Avermaet and Co., Ballerini was there, Stieber was there automatically, and then I think Genius and Pidcock had to attack across. Now, what do you yes. think of Pidcock's, Pidcock's bridge, Benji? That was super impressive, right? Yeah, super impressive, and I thought afterwards, like, he's going to have to take a bit of a rest right now, because if you just do that, you're likely to have to rest a bit before you can make another move. It's pretty impossible to keep on attacking like that, and it was kind of a, a pretty crazy move, because Kevin Genietz was in that wheel, but didn't take over too much. I felt like Mr. Pitcock here was doing most of the work. And once that group formed, that was a pretty solid large group and it had riders from multiple teams. And who are the teams that are not in that group? Bora, Ladu Sudal, Noel and Zabder and so forth. We also had Trek Segafredo, like you mentioned. DSM also missed the boat. So those are the teams that in the peloton afterwards, like 30, 35 seconds behind at that point, had to start battling at the front. And they did that in a pretty, pretty good way. They kept that gap at around 30 seconds the entire way around. And everything really started splintering again the moment that that front group started hitting the Berendris. The Berendris is a hill that is pretty steep at the start. And it becomes a bit of a false flat thing on top. So it's like you can attack on the climb itself. But you got to remember that after the climbing section, there's this false flat section that is really, really annoying. And Al Philippe decided, this is a moment that I'll I'll just go ahead and I'll I'll attack. Why not? And he has Ballerini in that group as well, Stibar in the gr that group as well. And once Al Philippe gets away from that group, he gets five meters, ten meters, and he kind of keeps on going. Now Pitcock is also a bit of a puncher. He sees that, but has to pause a lot of riders on the bear under this. He was in bad position. Yeah. That's Plainly. the problem. I think he, I think he could have followed Alaphilippe, but he, yep. he was in bad position, and I think he should have seen it. I mean, uh, he had a great race, Pidcock, but in hindsight, you, if you're him and you know you do have the legs to maybe follow Alaphilippe, Alaphilippe's the man you want to mark on these sort of climbs. Uh, but yeah, he gapped almost Van Avermaet off the wheel, Benji, up that climb. Uh, but this is where the quick step dominance started to take effect. You've got Alaphilippe going clear with maybe 32 k's to go. You've got the best sprinter in the group, Ballerini, in this group one. So then you've also got Stibar who can do a lead out, who can close gaps, who can chase people. So you've got two quick step riders blocking on these narrow roads. You've got Alaphilippe up the road. You've got riders taking a turn and then a quick step riders in the way. They also maybe don't want to pull too hard because, oh, well, I'm just going to bring Ballerini to the line. They had a gap of 35 seconds to group well, I guess it's Group Three if Alphalete counts as Group One, um, but yeah, it was it was masterful for Quickstep Benji, and I think even Askren was blocking in Group in Group yeah. Three, right? Yeah, and the thing about this team dynamic is that you obviously got the puncher that can ride away on the climbs, and you've got the sprinter that is in a crowned yeah. throne that can wait until a group comes back together and then still go for the sprint. But they kind of lost a bit of the edge there. Well, because at a certain point in that second group with Ballerini and Stibar, Stibar, I think he, Ballerini hit him or Trenton hit him, not not in an aggressive way. Or anything, I, think he was, but I think he was trying to block. I think he got caught trying to block and slipping into the middle of the pace line and, and someone maybe had enough of it and didn't move and he just chopped himself because obviously he would try and be second wheel all the time and then someone would flick him through He'd roll through, do 100 watts, and then people would roll over him, but then he tried to go back in the middle of the pace line. So that I think that really cost them. You're right, Benji, because then Ballerini doesn't want to be doing a lot of work trying to... Because it, it is work trying to stay second wheel all the time. Um, but do, do you think with the headwind that the Group 3, the larger group, would have caught them anyway, even if Stibar hadn't gone down? I think so as well, the Teams behind in the peloton group were really working together really well and kept that gap pretty low. 
I think at a certain point it was under 30 seconds already at that point towards the front of the range, which was Alaphilippe. And Alaphilippe wasn't looking too bright either at a certain point. Once they were like a good four or five kilometers before the uh, Mur van Gerardsbergen, we noticed that weakness was building in Alaphilippe, that the time gap was lowering and lowering. He looked to have a bit of a pain phase, but he always does. So at that point, we don't even know if that really represented anything. But the gaps started slimming down and slimming down, and it all came together pretty much the moment that we hit the Mur van Gerardsbergen because that's where Alaphilippe thought, oh, they're like 100 meters behind. Well, might as well wait and go again on the Mur. And that is also once the second group saw, oh, the peloton's 100 meters behind. Why would we go right now if we can try again on the Mur? So <laughs> if everybody decides that, then all the groups come back together on the first part of the Mur. Because if you don't know the Mur von Gerardsbergen, well, most of you will. But the first section is a bit of a not-so-steep climbing section into the city of Gerardsbergen. And then afterwards, you've got a steeper curved climb around the Kapellmur, which tops eventually, and then you go into the descent. And in that first section is a wider road. That's where the groups came together, and that's where you saw that some riders came to the front that were not in those first two groups first. And one of those riders that was clearly up for something on the mood was Johnny Moscon from Ineos. At first, I was like, oh, Pitcock's going, but looked a bit too, uh, too bulky to be Pitcock, too muscly. Pitcock is usually the very shiny guy on the bike. And <laughs> what I was you? like, ah, that's not Pitcock. <laughs> what are you, the English commentators? Because obviously uh, Pitcock was it was uh, every rider <laughs> today. Um, yeah, Moscon was super strong. He's, Moscon's come into this season a different man. We saw at Provence stage one, Provence stage one, super strong uh, bridging to Alaphilippe, or maybe Alaphilippe bridged to him rather when he was in that group with uh, Giulio Ciccone. On the Mur, he straight up dropped Sepp Van Marke off the wheel. And Ma Van Marke, you might not be aware, is rather good on cobbles. Uh, I think Van Marke, Van Marke has, did a quicker time on the Mur than Cancellara did when he dropped Bernan that famous time. Wait, what? His, Van Marke's time is quicker than Cancellara's time for the Mur. For some, for a section of it, pretty sure in the decisive section, yeah, I, I could be completely wrong. I don't know, Benji. I'm pretty sure Benji was conceived and baptized on in the Kapelmur, so he would know better. <laughs> Maybe he, <laughs> um, but I've seen that statistic somewhere on the internet, so it must be true. But yeah, Moscon super strong, <laughs> but you need unless you're Cancellara, you need a big gap, especially with the headwind after the Moor. You can't just get a two-second gap, particularly when yep. the group was so large and not so tired either. This is, A, it's not like Flanders. They're not 200 k's in at this point. Oh, sorry, they're not 230 k's in at this point. There's maybe an hour less racing, and they've not done as many climbs or as harder climbs. Um, so it's, it was a massive group, honestly, and... I think Alaphilippe was super smart. The smartest thing Alaphilippe did today, Benji, and I think helped that helped Quickstep the most, was I think he held something back going into the mood. You could, I think he sat up in the run into it pretty much because he knew he was going to be caught and saved some energy. And I think he allowed himself to slip back on the mood and lose places. Um, but who was – there wasn't really a – was there really a group or a split, Benji, on the mood? It looked like there might be, but no one was really strong enough to take it up over the top. It was just, it became a large group going into the Bosberg, or am I misremembering what happened? This is with 13Ks to go, by the way. Yep, completely true. And this is going to be heresy for the Flemish people that are listening, but I think <laughs> the mood von Gerardsbergen is overrated. I think the oh, reason... Benji, come on. <laughs> I think the reason that the mood von Gerardsbergen was an iconic climb in RVV in the days that it was in the Tour of Flanders, was because it was after so many hills, the riders were already pretty suffering, there was already perhaps a rider that was on the road, we saw that with, I think, was it Cancellara? I don't even know, there was a year where Nions won, where someone on the on the Mur van Gerardsbergen lost a lot of time, They're like, that stuff happens because the race has been 230 kilometers already, Right yeah, here, yeah. it's not that, and it's going with an entire peloton onto the mur. You're you're likely not going to get too much difference if an entire peloton goes to the mur, and I believe that we saw exactly that. Nobody is really 
miles ahead of anybody else in cobbles these days, unless you're talking about Wout van Aert or an Alaphilippe, if he, for example, doesn't attack 30 kilometers before that, could try yeah. and get away on the moor. But in this situation, that's not the case. And you've got likes of Moscon that have to make a difference, but that ain't going to happen on the move on here. He had a 10 meter gap at the top. So yeah, I believe that the mood is a And you got to think about quick step too. Yep. Like if quick step have a tired Philippe and then Askren and Lampart and then no one else, then after the Moor, I think they would attack on the sections leading into the Bosberg or maybe after the, uh, yeah, maybe on the Bosberg, but because they got Ballerini and a lot of the sprinters have been dropped or are getting distanced, they're like, well, why don't we just ride with <laughs> for Ballerini? So if the strongest team is happy for it to come down to a sprint, that's why we saw such a large group. And for a long time, we were struggling to figure out who was in that group. Uh, but let's there, there were a lot of actually really strong riders in there. Gilbert, um, Jake Stewart. I'm, I'm talking about the sprinty boys right now. Jake Stewart for FDJ. Ethan Hayter, Alexander Kristoff with Trentin, there to lead him out if need be. Moscon still there. Alaphilippe, Askren, Seneschal, and Davide Ballerini. Crazy strong. Who else, Benny? Laporte, maybe? Um, I'm trying to think yes. some Cocar. other sprinters. Brian Cocard. Great, I mean, sort of great race from him. Sort of. <laughs> um, like, in that he made it over, but then uh, was nowhere i think in that then he really didn't contest the finish niels niels pollett yep sorry but um this is where i kind of want to come in with a different topic that is surrounding this split you've got this entire group that gets over all this climb and who's not in it jasper phillipson we spoke about it already a few days ago that's a good point jasper phillipson is brought to umlope as one of the leaders here because it feels like he thinks or is trying to be a cobble rider with a sprint instead of a sprinter with a cobble. And he's not I going to Kuna Russell Kuna, which fits him 10 times better. Uh, I told you. I don't you. get it. Yeah. I, t- I told you it didn't. It didn't in the, actually, we never ended up doing Alpsen preview. We might. But in other, <laughs> when we did the UAE one, we talk about him leaving UAE. It didn't make sense to me him going to Alpsen. And I think we saw that today. Um, I think he's a guy he should be focusing on winning Grand Tour, pure sprints. Uh, and maybe Kerner as a leader, not on loop, uh, or maybe as an option in on loop. So that didn't really ma- make much sense to me. DSM made the split with a fair few riders. Uh, we only had the Bosberg coming up, but there was really no action on the Bosberg. It all stayed together. But DSM had Kral Anderson and Tej Benot in that group. And, and that's what, why do you think, Benji, with Christoph Hayter, Ballerini Stewart, uh, Joubert, Aaron Baru, Pollitt, Cord- Garcia Cortina, Capio. Why, with all those riders in there, do we not see attacks from someone like, or for like Cry Anderson, for example? Or I think um, the clear issue there yeah. is that the Koenig Quickstep has full control at that point. They've got Lampard okay. who came back after the crash, who is now pacing at the front of the race. Philippe goes to the front, passes everyone, decides to work as well together without Lampard. So... After all that crazy attacking, Alaphilippe's there again working for the team. We saw that a, f- a week or two ago, I think it was in Provence, when he decided to help the lead out for Ballerini in one of the stages that Ballerini eventually won. And today, Alaphilippe came up there, decided to help as well. And then we saw Osgren move up in third position. And you've got Ballerini, who's basically already in fifth position at that point, behind Seneschal. So five dudes from Quickstep. There is no way a rider can get away with those five riders trying to close gaps for the likes of Ballerini. Like, they are in full control at that point of the race, and they know that it's going to go to a sprint, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. I think there was a slight headwind which made it even more difficult. So yeah, Benji's right. Quick step pretty much shut it down from at least 7, 8Ks out, and we knew this was coming down to a bunch sprint. We were just trying to find who are the quick men here. And I think I've already mentioned them. But then I liked Christoph Benji with Trentine. I like Christoph. I think he's I think he could have could have been up there, but disaster struck 
He had a mechanical with maybe 1,500 metres to go. That obviously meant his race was over. He was nearly on the verge of tears. He was so mad. You could hear him on the feed how how mad he was because he knew his race was over. And he, he was going to come first, second, or third, like guaranteed yeah. if he went but to this sprint. About his yep. puncture, it looked like it happened mid-peloton. And I don't know if the puncture was the cause of this or it was the consequence of it, but at a certain point, it looked like almost half the peloton was going to go down because one rider was moving left to right. And I think it was Christoph. Perhaps it was the puncture that led him to being unbalanced at a certain point. I'm so surprised that nobody crashed there, and I'm so happy that nobody crashed there because that would have been a horrible thing to happen with 5K to go. No, 1.5K to go, sorry, in this race. So Christoph's out for the sprint. Who's basically left? Well, the entire train of Quickstep at the front, basically trying to bring it home for Ballerini. But um, but wait, last... wasn't there a yeah. crash of Hater? Didn't Hater crash? Yeah. What happened to Just him? Just after Christoph, you're right. Uh, I so don't that know. was unrelated. I don't think that was related. Okay, but Hater crashed. I thought he was going to be up there top five too. He's got a, a very nice sprint on him too. The Ineos Grenadiers. Um, he crashed. We've got two of the sprinters gone. We're now left with Stewart, Ballerini, Aramburu, Gilbert, Cocard, in theory. Nils Pollitt has got a decent finish on him. Uh, Stefan Marker was always staying in top five wheels. But quick step, we had turns going into the finish, um, a couple of left to right turns, and Askren brings quick step into the final K. He drops them off. He then finishes turn, his turn at about maybe 600, 650. There's a few corners then. Seneschal takes over fairly early. I was like, oof, maybe Ballerini's going to get dumped at 250, 270, and he's going to be have some problems. And this is this is absolutely beautiful from Quick, from Askren. Seneschal goes through a right-hand corner. Askren, with everyone having to slow down, 90-degree corner, Askren slots into fourth wheel. Behind the wheel of Stefan Marker, who's third wheel on Ballerini's wheel, Askren, then soft pedals through the corner, and then there's a, a gap opens up. Classic quick step, lose the wheel through the corner. Gilbert then has to make a big acceleration to get onto the wheel of Van Marker, as well as other riders having to accelerate pretty hard there. There's then another left-hand corner soon after. So Seneschal's been able to use these corners to not have to pedal, he's had a, re- a rest during his pull. Of you know, even a micro rest like that is important. And then 350, he takes from 350 out of the corner to about 200. He lets, I think, he brings Ballerini to maybe even the 150. Van Mark's just there. Everyone else is only caught up to them at about 200. And then Ballerini kicks to the left-hand side of Seneschal. Absolutely perfect lead-out. It was exactly like Merku. The sort of perfect lead-out we saw Merku do for Bennett in Stage 6 of UAE to a Ballerini kicks and gaps Van Marker off the wheel. So all the other sprinters trying to come from behind are having to come even further. And uh, Ballerini pretty much wins by multiple bike lengths. He's able to post up early, show the sponsors off. And who came second? Jake Stewart. British sprinter for Group Armour, FDJ came second, Van Mark third, Benji's boy, Hausler fourth. Oh, yeah. Anything? There he goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fourth. That's a great result. And he nearly came He nearly came third, Benji. He's coming quick at Van Mark. He's going to win Roubaix. Yeah. Okay, well, let's <laughs> calm down now. Are there any details Are there any details I missed in that in that finale, little things that I missed out um, that made a difference, you think? Or anyone that you think underperformed in the finale? Well, I think a bunch of the sprinters weren't really there, but I think that was because of the positioning and the great lead out of the Koenig into all those corners that they weren't really in a position that they could even do anything anymore. I think the craziest thing in the last two kilometers was Van Marke, who in the corner that you mentioned, where Osgrain drops to fourth position behind Van Marke, it's also kind of because Van Marke took the inner corner, passed like three, four riders, and posted himself into the third position between Ballerini and Osgren, who just pulled off. And Osgren, because of Van Marke, had to take that corner wide already. And he obviously decides to self-pedal as a consequence. But I think he always, he also kind of had to break a bit or he'd just end up in the barrier there because Van Marke's shortcut in the corner wasn't wasn't the safest thing, to be honest. But uh, all in all, Van Marke pulled through. Osgren, it worked out perfectly for Ballerini, who once again proves that 
he's growing like mad as a cyclist. He he started at Astana, he brought himself forward there, attacking a bit on the cobble sections, didn't know he had a proper sprint, sometimes sprinted to a, uh, a proper top 10 place. Then he went to the Koenig, he eventually ended up being a lead out at a certain point, and he got that opportunity, I think, in the Tour de Polonia last year for the first time to sprint for himself because it was a reduced bunch sprint. And he got second there, I think, behind Peterson and then won a stage as well. And since then, it's been growth, growth, growth from this rider. And this entire month of February for Ballerini has been splendid so far. And I'd ride him down for Hans Wabelgem. I don't know about that. I, think <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of things panned out well for Ballerini today. I think Christ, Christoph having a mechanical, that's very helpful <laughs> um, as well. I'm not sure he's, I'm not sure I would have favoured him ahead of, ahead of Christoph. I think if Christoph is where Van Marker was, maybe this result would have been a little bit different. So very bad luck for Christoph, but Quickstep just dominated this race. Alaphilippe on the Molenberg attacking, creating a, a group. Ballerini and Stibar sitting in, tiring out the other riders in that group, and then all the other teams having to chase for, you know, what was it, 15, 20 kilometers um, into before the Murf. Everyone's chasing before the hardest climb of the day. And then, yeah, once again, once they got over those climbs, still with their main man, Ballerini, they were able to, they still had big numbers, strong riders, Askren relatively fresh, and they just shut it down. And then we're like, well, we've got numbers for lead out. Seneschal, what a man to be leading out as well. He, a guy who came, what did he come second in Hent Vabelhem last year behind yep. Pedersen or third? So super, super strong team and dominant performance. Alaphilippe just, I don't think. Um, I don't know. If MVDP was there with Wout van Aert, would they have stayed clear? I don't know. It was the headwind made it difficult today. I definitely think Alphalip's attacks were tactically very good and um, definitely caused... It definitely put Trek under a lot of pressure. Have you seen anything on Twitter, Benji, about this? Because... Yeah, I saw I one know, message I don't know what Trek. happened. I saw yeah. one... Uh, tweet by trek saying please hit the reset button literally that <laughs> because they didn't get right. into the top 30 or top 50 of the reins which is crazy with that team like they had the trident they had turns peterson and they have Steven, and they're not in the top 30 or 50 i think something something weird happened today peterson 112th Sturvin 83rd their best rider 63rd alex kirsch i don't know what happened with them, that's really strange. Um, for I thought top three cobbled squad and a race that suits them more than Flanders, I think, with Pedersen a really yep. strong sprinter and Sturvin winning last year at Omloop. Very odd. Any other any other stories, Benji? Jake Stewart second. Do you think it's a fluke? Um, nope. Or you think that's he? Strong. No, that's very. Strong. I think he's legit too. Yeah, yeah. we say it, we. Uh, I think we said it like on. I don't know which race it was. It's what a Bessage. After that Bechere, time trial, that he would yeah. also be good on on Cobble Hills, most likely. And he Hater showed two. Today. Hater two. Yeah. Same same climb on that TT. Hater had set a really hot time. Yes, and he unfortunately had the crash at the end that, yeah, he, he would have been up there. He would have been in the top 10, most likely, I'd say. And there's a lot of these youngsters showing what they've got. Olaf Koy with that attack. Johan Jakobs with that attack. A little problem, though, I said on my hot take at Movistar at the start of the season, Jan Jakobs is going to top 10 one of the two opening weekend stages. He's only got Kuna left, and I don't know if he rides it. Most likely he does. So he only has tomorrow, otherwise my hot take is gone here. I think Olaf Koy missed a big chance today um, by attacking. I think if, he's, if he... Yeah. It, it, it seemed, obviously... Oh, at the time, I'm not sure it did seem right attacking with Jakobs before anyone else had attacked. It was kind of a bit, bit of a suicidal break. I think if he sits in with the hater group and it all comes back together, he's got to trust his sprint. Like, why why not trust his sprint a bit more? Because um, he is quick. So I wish I wish he'd ridden a bit more like a protected rider today and we would have seen what he could have done. Um, but, yeah, no one, I think, in the top... 
no one in the top 40 for Jumbo Visma. This is again the problem. Anchorn, Van Hoydunk, and Rosen, no one in the top 40. Olaf Koy obviously was in that break and then dropped out because he kind of cooked himself. Um, so, apart from Decker, I'm worried about him with Turnison's, in, Turnison's injury. I'm worried about Wild Van Art's classic squad. He's going to be doing a lot of it himself, I think. Uh, but a memorable om loop, I think, for me, Benji, although it did play out the way a lot of people expected, quick step dominating, and it was going to be one of Alaphilippe or Ballerini winning. They were up there in the in the betting markets. Any other notable stories from here? Anything else you've seen on Twitter that you want to mention? Not necessarily. I think we spoke about pretty much everything uh, that happened at Omlop, and yeah, that's basically it for this race. All right, I hope you enjoyed the Omloop men's breakdown. Give the video a like down below if you did. Now the Omloop women's race. So the men's race finished, and then Flanders Classics has the women's race finished about an hour, hour and 15 after the men's race finishes, because better for audience retention. I think it's a good idea. 124k stage, not as many climbs or pave sections. They've still got the Molenberg, Leiberg, Berendries, Murkappelmuller, Bosberg combo with then 12k for the finish. So functionally, pretty similar finale, almost identical finale, I think, uh, which I really like to see. It makes for good comparisons. Start list, super strong, as you'd expect, although I was misspoke the other day. This is a one pro, not a women's world tour race, but... It's got live coverage and a uh, really strong start list. So, functionally, it's more important than a lot of the women's world tour races, <laughs> yes. to be honest. Like Tour of Chongmin Island is world, women's world tour, but Omloop is more important. Van Vleuten's moved over to Movistar. How will she go? Lotta Capecchi at Live Racing. Bastianelli, sprinter at Ale, BTC Ljubljana. Uh, Grace Brown, can she double down on her... Cobble's success last year at Bike Exchange, as well as Sarah Roy, Australian national champ. Got Cavalli and Ludwig at FTG Nouvelle-Aquitaine Futuroscope. Hannah Barnes, Nivea Doma at Canyon Shram. Lorena Viebes, Viebes, will it be too hard for her at DSM? But the, ma the main team, stronger than Quickstep. Not even... Quickstep are the SD works of men's cycling. It's not even the other way around, Benji. SD Works have <laughs> Julien Dor, who comes down to a sprint, Christine, Christine Majerus, Demi Vollering from Park Hotel Valkenburg from last year has come over, Amy Peters, Anna van der Breggen, the world champ, and Chantal van der Broek Black, former world champ, winner of Tour of Flanders Crazy. last year. Apps, ridiculous team. Actually ridiculous. Like, <laughs> there's so many <laughs> options. They got Vollering for the climbs. She, she was the only one that could compete with Van der Breggen and the Murder de Hoy in Flesh last year. You got Van der Breggen who can TT away and can do everything. You got Chantal van der Black, a good cobbler. And then you got Julian Dorf for a sprint. And then you got Amy Peters and Majerus to block and, ch and bring back breaks. Just ridiculous team. Um, <laughs> Trek had Dignan called on Rago. And Hosking, if it came down to a sprint, and Ellen Van Dyke. That's pretty much the main favourites that I can see on the team sheet, uh, on the on the start list, rather. Elisa Balsama for Valkar, maybe another name uh, to be mentioned, as well as Emma Norsgaard at Movistar, sister of Matthias Norsgaard. But when we started... Um, the live coverage was spotty until the helicopter came in. I was like, why is this in 240p potato footage? It looked like my old videos. Um, <laughs> but when I started watching, it was a group one, pretty large, with Kopecki, Van der Breggen, Elisa Longoborghini, Bastianelli. Second group, I think, had Van Vleuten missing it. Sarah Roy was chasing, but the big names missing were Diamond and Van Dyke. Uh, and that was this was before about 35k's to go, 40k's to go. Um, so most of the favourites were in that first group. Bastianelli in there as well. Um, but when you saw that Benji, like, were you surprised that Van Vleuten wasn't right up there? Did you? She's been training a lot. I think she might have even done an altitude camp. Did you expect her to slot right in at Movistar, or did you think there might be issues straight away? Off. I'm not sure it's it's necessarily issues per se, but I think that she's got less support at Movistar and certainly for these races. I think Emma Nolsgaard is one of the riders that I would also put highly up here in these kind of races. Perhaps Elena, but 
outside of that, I, I don't have the names to say, oh, this rider is going to be up there or this rider is going to be up there in that team. I think that's one of the reasons that she's not as much up there in these races. Last year, she had the likes of uh, an Amanda Spratt, who was basically very strong in these kind of races as well, who would be helping her out. And that's not the case here really anymore. So I think that's one of the reasons. But I still expect more, to be honest. Uh, I don't know. It feels like just because of the name Von Vleuten that I'd expect her to be a one-woman uh, army against the rest of the peloton again, like two years ago. And I think last year, Van der Breggen was the rider that kind of took over that role. And I think uh, during this race, at that point in the race, we already saw a bit of a, a difference there. But the thing about Van der Breggen is that she is surrounded regarding such a strong team, like you mentioned. So... Yeah, perhaps the difference is the team, perhaps, but I don't think it's necessarily so much worse than Bike Exchange last year was for her. So I think it's still a bit worse than I expected for, from Von Vleuten, to say the least. 32Ks to go. SD Works just start rolling attacks, first with Demi Vollering, then when she gets caught under Van der Breggen counters, then Van der Breggen got brought back, so Lisa, Lisa Longobord, Gini, Kopecky, Liv Racing, they're the teams trying to bring them back every time they attack. I'm going to say right now, someone at the UCI, at the um, United Nations, at the World Health Organization, <laughs> somebody needs to make either SD Works and Liv and Canyon Shram change their kits. I'm not, I can't fucking deal with it. It's three purple kits that all look the same, particularly SD Works and yeah. Liv. Change it. One of you, both of you, I don't care. I, I, I literally couldn't pick them out. And this is like, were De Koenig and Movistar, Ineos and Alpes and Phoenix, it's not even close to that. It's way worse. So, that's just my one gripe because I was, I was trying to pick people out. It was impossible. I was like, why is this Liv rider closing down her, her own rider trying to bring back this break? Super weird. And I was like, oh, it's SD Works. It's uh, Amy Peters or, and co. Um, but anyway, Volering goes again at 30. Barnes and Liv were chasing. SD Works were blocking well with 27Ks to go. Volering reached the Moor solo. So she soloed for like a good 10 to 12 kilometers. And then there was a big accelerate. It was kind of like in the men's race when it looked like, oh, is Volering gone? Is she clear? SD Works. But then just the headwind or something and the Moor, it meant that that gap of 10, 15 seconds could be brought back very quickly with that Kopecky acceleration, Belgian national champ. Cecily Ludwig on her wheeling group, group two, chasing behind. Then Elisa Longo-Borghini countered, gapping Kopecky, but Benji... This is when I knew. Did what? What did you think when you saw Anna van der Breggen half wheeling Lisa Lisa Longo Borghini on the motor? Did you think, oh, it's trouble? Yeah, I thought it was trouble because, like, <laughs> I thought at a certain point that Kobeki was was looking really strong for Liv. Yeah, and yeah, me too. Midway to Mura was like, oh, Kobeki, yeah, Belgium, yeah. But then at a certain point, I saw Anna van der Breggen on the left side of the couple just moving up, like it was nothing, passing everybody pretty much. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, at that point, I was like, okay, we've got a boss betting left. If she does anything there, everybody else will need to get the best of their capabilities out of them. Otherwise, she's gone. And, well, after that mood we had at the top that it didn't really form somebody getting away or anything. It was mainly that Volring was not as far ahead of everybody anymore. And the group behind... Uh, it looked like Utrecht Ludwig at the start of the mirror was trying to follow its eggs, but towards the end, she was almost dropping. That's kind of the take I had there. And basically, the people that you would expect to be in that select group at that point were there. But I don't think Von Vleuten was out there in the front, right? I didn't see her at all, and I was trying to pick her out. I could not see her anywhere. Um, it was all Lisa Longoborghini, Volering, and Van der Breggen. It was, yeah, Volering clo got closed down with 17Ks to go after the Moor. Van der Breggen counted again, marked by Kopecky. Van der Breggen sat up. So Kopecky got unlucky. And this is the strength of SD Works because Zander Van der Breggen doesn't have to work. She's got other riders back in the group, Julian Dor and Co., Chantal Vandenbroek Black. So she was sitting on Kopecky, and those two were clear. 
So then they got caught again. Elisa Longoborghini tried to attack on the descent, marked by Vollering and Soraya Paladin, I think on Liv. Um, Marlon Russa, the Swiss TT rider, she was chasing, I think, in the group behind. And then you got the Bosberg coming up. They hit the Bosberg, Lunderbregen attacks, Kapeki tries to close it down, but just Vanderbregen. Once you lose her wheel, even a bike width, a bike length off, it's trouble. She's a double world champ, ITT2, and there's a reason for that. And she, if you're riding one-on-one against her and it was Kapeki, she can just ITT away from you. And at the minute she that gap started opening up on the Bosberg, 13k to the finish, I was like, this is trouble. Everyone's been tired, chasing down following for 12, 13 kilometers. Um, and did you think Liv had any chance, Benji, with 11k's to go? No, I watched I watched women cycling last year too, and I think every single time this happened, she was gone. So <laughs> yeah. I had a calculated yeah. bet in my mind. Yeah, this is not coming back, and I just didn't believe in it because Kopecki's the strongest of the lift team, and if she can't hold the gap, then why would the domestiques of of the likes of uh, Kopecki do it? So yeah, I, I didn't see this coming back together. I did see that the gap was pretty strong at a certain point. I think it went up to like 30, 40 seconds at a certain point. But it started coming down into the last five kilometers. Really? Yeah, it went down to like a good 25 seconds for the last (laughs) kilometer or something. I'd already organized one of the Breggen's inauguration, so I was like, this is over. (laughs) (laughs) So I wasn't checking the time. I didn't check the time gaps in like the last five. I haven't written them down either. I was like, this is done. Um, I think the other teams also figured out it was pretty much done and started attacking for podium places. Cecily Gautour Ludwig, I think, started pulling for FDJ for Martika Valley. Cohesion broke down with 7Ks to go, and yeah, that's when the gap expanded. Grace Brown attacked, trying to bridge. She did a pretty good job last year in Provence Pale. And Liège, actually. Liège, she tried to catch Diagnan when she tried to attack across and nearly did so if she had a few more Ks. Um, she was marked by Amy Peters, again, SD Works, and Vanderbregen walked it in, pretty much. There was a bunch, reduced bunch sprint for second. Norsgaard won that reduced bunch sprint, the Danish national champion. Amy Peters, third, so SD Works, double podium. Lotte Kopecki worked hard all day, looked very strong, unlucky not to get a podium spot, fourth. Um, but a pretty good race, Benji. The only notable name missing is probably Van Vleuten from that group and I think I think to bring back someone like Van der Breggen you do need someone like Van Vleuten especially when SG Works had spent the last half an hour to 45 minutes working over and softening up Liv and the other teams that's the beauty I think I think SG Works away we said in the preview Benji go and listen to our SG Works preview if you haven't already it's been pretty popular Volering is huge Huge addition to this yeah. team, 24 years old. And, yeah, what did you see from Vollering today? And do you think she's going to be winning more races this year than last year? Yeah, I certainly do. I think she's in a team that she's in a better position to be able to make these kind of moves and is a piece, a pawn in the tactic of SD Works this time around. She attacks early. She's good at the hills. She gets away on those. She has a gap. If it comes back together, it comes back together. If it doesn't, she wins. I think we're going to see that quite a few times. She's also relatively uh, amazing on the likes of Fledge Wallon. We saw that last year. So on those hilly parkours, the punchy races, she's going to be up there with the best. Obviously, she's got the other best with her and the team. So whether uh, they have to decide at a certain point who to go for, I don't know yet. It depends on the situation, the race. Likely the decision would go towards Anna von der Breggen in the majority of the races I would expect. But all in all, she's so young and she's already proving herself so worthy for a team like this. And performances like today, she's definitely going to make herself more known. And yeah, I think she might be the next Anna von der Breggen slash von Vleuten at a certain point because she's really moving up that way, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. And a good climber as well. So I should probably read out the full full results. Van der Breggen first, Norsgaard second, Peters third, Kopecky fourth, Hannah Barnes, the British rider for Canyon Schramm fifth, Marta Bastianelli for Ali BTC Ljubljana sixth, Lisa Brenauer, not so strong today, seventh, Grace Brown eighth, Marta Cavalli ninth, and then Lisa Longoborghini was tenth, uh, but that was in a second group. 
uh, behind the first group. So, Brenauer Benji, she won the Vuelta Ferretizit Challenge last year. I was struggling to pick her out, and she... I mean, when I when we like look at her results, oh, seventh on loop, that looks okay. But she was following wheels all day, and I think clearly we're hyping up Vollering, you know, and comparing her to other riders. She was clearly stronger than Brenau today. Likewise, though, Lotte Kopecky was probably stronger than Vollering, honestly. But if you're having to close all these gaps in Mark Vanderbregen and Vollering yourself, you're going to get pretty tired. So it's going to be a tough, tough season for every other team that's not named SD Works this year because yep. our, De- our Dens, those two are going to be lethal, as Benji said, Van der Breggen and Vollering. Harder cobbles like Kurt or Kent Havenweevelhem. You've got Chantal Van der Black and Julian Dor. What do you do, Benji? How do you how do you approach this race if you're a DS, not of SD Works, to maximise your chance of winning? Do you try and send your strong riders into a break early? It depends on the riders, to be honest. And you need to apply it onto situations that are formed by SD Works at this point, because they are kind of leading the the they're composing the race for you, and they do stuff that leads to, for example, one of the riders attacking, and their entire team basically stopping the group behind them you either have to be with that attack but you can't be with every attack because for example if following in this situation attacks and if you have a situation where your rider is with following there then that's great but the problem is once those get caught they have someone else to attack again you likely don't so you're in a very difficult situation to spell how to write this race against the z-works before the race even starts and I think it really depends on in which situation you land. I I could not name a tactic right now to say, oh, this is the perfect way to beat Anna van der Breggen because <laughs> clearly no one has achieved it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's tough. And it's crazy that she's retiring at, at the end of this year. Um, like She could clearly keep riding, keep winning for many years to come. But that's been our Omloop had Nurse Blood women's recap, a pretty exciting finale too, and I do like the fact that they have it straight after the men's race as well. Um, although it was a long day of watching cycling for me. But that's been our recaps of Omloop and uh, both men and women's. I've got to go to sleep, Benji, because it's 4 a.m. We can do the UAE tour tomorrow with Kerner Brussel Kerner. Otherwise... I might not even make it to watch Kerner Russell Kerner. I'm sure people will forgive me, but if not, just feel free to roast me in the YouTube comments. I'm sure most of you love doing that sort of thing. Thanks to the call for supporting the podcast, and we'll see you tomorrow with some more jam-packed Sunday racing. Ciao.